G'day guys, you are in for an incredible treat today. I have on the podcast with me, Dr. Fiona Wood, who happens to be a plastic surgeon and researcher. And the reason why I have her on the podcast today is because she is the co-inventor of cellular spray on skin for burns victims. That's cellular spray on skin to treat burns victims. And I first saw her at the National Press Club in Australia. She was giving an address. And I can tell you her work is remarkable. How she's been able to generate funding for her work is unbelievable. And you'll hear about it in the podcast. The highlight of this interview is not just the fact that this amazing plastic surgeon <laughs> created this outstanding product that is not only life-changing, but is life-saving. Uh, not only does she create this product, and you're going to hear about how she got the idea to how she funded it, which is, you know, not what you usually expect. But the fact that she had her self-awareness. See, just because a product is brilliant, like spray-on skin, cellular spray-on skin, doesn't mean it's going to have it be fly off the shelves. It's going to have people buying it. It's going to have people using it, most importantly. And so the insight to that is knowing when to stop pursuing an idea giving that idea for someone else to reach its fulfillment, such as the marketing and selling of spray on skin. And for Dr. Wood to go back to what she does best, which is research and plastic surgery. And so if this podcast does anything for you, it is my sincere hope that it brings your own self-awareness because it did for me. And to know what be very clear on what your strengths are because the more you can hone in on the craft that you're good at the greater your genius is able to be unleashed and your genius able to make the changes and value add to society and that's what I took away from this interview with uh, Dr Wood the fact that when we know what we're good at that's when we can dive in when to know when to give the idea to someone else so that they can use their genius to make it soar. So listen in, take notes because it's remarkable and enjoy. G'day, g'day everyone. This is the Unbox Your Gift podcast. I'm your host, Rita Joyen. Dr. Fiona Wood, you, you, I was at the National Press Club yesterday when you were speaking, wildly taking notes as you were embarking us all your wisdom and there was a 72 year old woman that was sitting on my table and she after you spoke and after you had finished she said oh my god what have I done with my life <laughs> because your example was so incredible and the listeners are going to really get understanding of what you do and how you've impacted Australia and the world with your invention but I want to go back a little bit and I want to ask you Dr. Fiona Wood when you decided to get into the science field, the medical field, is that because you were a whiz at maths and science at school? And, you know, because you spoke a bit about passion yesterday at the press club. What was it, what stood out to you to go into this field of work? Well, at, at school, I was that kind of kid. I was uh, really, yeah, I did a lot of sport and things like that because I, I enjoyed that sort of thing. But I was very much uh, a nerd. <laughs> and yeah, I, I absolutely loved knowing things. I just wanted to know more and I wanted to know why, you know, so I was very much that sort of why kind of kid and I've turned into that why kind of old person. <laughs> 
So in terms of science, was that something that you, you know, evoked your curiosity more than like history of asking why? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a really interesting question because, you know, we've heard it before that we, you know, we're doomed to, to repeat history because we don't learn from it. And I think it's a very, uh, you know, it's an absolutely almost an open book uh, opportunity to learn from history. But when you look at science, there's a lot of history there too. And sort of it's like building and building upon the things that have gone before that holds, you know, on the shoulders of the giants that have gone before. And so I guess I would say I'm very much into maths and science, but not at the exclusion of everything else. I'm just one of those people. I'm curious. I think curiosity is actually a real key uh, in order to try and uh, answer the questions. You can ask why. Then you have to bring everything to bear to uh, to figure out the solution you know, or the answer. And so I... I'm not discriminatory. I want to. I want to know stuff from every which way. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but certainly at school I was very much in that that maths science space. Brilliant. And so then, when you were in that maths and science space, you went and did a medical degree. Is that cool? Yes. Yes. Yeah, straight from school. I I wonder. I was actually going to go and do maths and physics at Cambridge, and that's what was my first choice. And my, one of my elder brothers uh, took me for a weekend to London. I was born, born and bred up uh, in the north of England in the sort of mining area. And uh, my two brothers took me off for a weekend, my big brothers, and it was like, oh my gosh, this is pretty cool. <laughs> and I met all these med students and things. And so I changed my uh, university entrance and I went. And I also went, because uh, I was able to go a year earlier. And so, I went straight to uni because uh, I'd gone through school a year early. Uh, so instead of uh, waiting the year to go to Cambridge, I thought, well, why wait that year? I should just go straight away. So I went to St Thomas's Hospital Medical School in London, right on the uh, River Thames there. And it was, it was a good time. Your parents must have been so proud. My God, my daughter wants to study. She just wants to get in there and get <laughs> like no gap year. I mean, the gap years probably weren't something back over at that time, but you were yeah. quite ambitious from a very young age. Well, a gap year for me, well, there wasn't kind of that. Yeah, uh, was like, what would you do? I was under 18. I couldn't do very much with, you know, that other than work. And, you know, the jobs that I was working in, you know, was in cafes and like things like that. And I, I worked every, every holiday because I had to. And I used to work actually in the school I went to. They had, and I would, you know, scrub the walls, clean the desks and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Paint, paint the toilets and so like a year of that are you kidding me yeah <laughs> no I'm, I'm, I'm out of here I love that so so when you decided to go and do a medical degree at courtesy of your brother for showing you the world as it is what you could be like if you had a medical degree then you said yesterday in your um in your speech that you opened up an anatomy book and then you were like I have to be a surgeon yeah it was more more in the we went to the dissecting room and anatomy was in the medical degrees then it was it was really very um uh, very compartmentalized if you like and we did anatomy by 
biochemistry and physiology. And that's what we did for the first two years. And so that was the, the focus. And the focus in the anatomy was dissection. And so I went into the, the dissection lab where people so kindly had given their bodies such that people like myself would learn the science and the art of anatomy. And we were dissecting the forearm and everything inside that was, ex I thought, wow, it fits. A human forearm. In the forearm yeah oh, so it just started on the forearm and i thought oh my goodness you know it fits it's exquisite it just it glides i went like wow and that was when i decided to be a surgeon if a surgeon puts this back together that's what i'll do and that's what wow. i'll do yeah the mechanic with a human body <laughs> that's what a surgeon is yeah. <laughs> okay all right so you yes that's funny my husband's a surgeon and he he used to put on his uh like if people asked him questions, he was always quite private. So I just want people to know he put body repairer. <laughs> humble, humble man. <laughs> so when you decided to become a surgeon, did you ever think in your whole entire life that you would become the in, or co-inventor or the inventor of spray on skin? I mean, that's even just to say that is a bit like what? Well, it's spray on skin cells, and we're working very hard at the spray on skin hole, as you heard yesterday with our 3D printers and our, our, our systems. But uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Uh, you, I think it's interesting that you just follow uh, where life takes you. And I guess I've always been one of those people that is you know, out there trying almost Sometimes I feel almost like I'm being in, trying to be run in front of myself. Mm. Uh, and I, I am an, a passionate sort of believer that life doesn't come to you. Mm. Yeah, it actually doesn't come to you if you wait. And I'm a little bit impatient and I'm not waiting. Mm. And uh, certainly that's how I was brought up. If you, you know, if something's worth having, it's worth working for. If you know, there's no substitute for hard work. And I remember, you know, my dad saying the harder you work, the luckier you get, you know. So, so I think, no, I know I, I was not, I'm not being passive in waiting, but equally by almost running out in front of yourself, it gives you opportunities, you see things. Uh, it's sometimes the things you shouldn't be maybe, but yeah, doing, and you end up doing more maybe, but than you should, but you just don't know. I think it's interesting which sort of direction you're going in and are you going to end up and when look, you look back, it's like anything. You know, we work really hard, you get over the hurdle and all of a sudden sh it, that, it shrinks. Mm. Oh, mm. oh, is that such a big deal? No. Well, it's been a big deal, but yeah. now it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I find that fascinating because for you to create something like that, and because you said you haven't been passive, I mean, that's obviously very obvious in how much you've accomplished. I mean, six kids, a surgeon, an inventor, um, Australian of the year, you know, getting the medal yesterday, you know, obviously that is a testament to the fact that you're not waiting for something to happen. You're actually going out and being the definition of proactive. So can you explain to me, like something like spray on skin cells, how do you even fathom an idea like that? What took place for you to even think of an idea like that? Well, well, I started looking at the whole concept of skin repair, skin regeneration. Why do we scar? And I mean, I've been in this space now since very early on when I was 
uh, became a doctor in 1981. By 1985, I was working uh, in the burn service in uh, the, in East Grinstead, Equip Victoria Hospital, East Grinstead, and I was already well and truly down that rabbit hole of, gosh, we've got to be, make this better, these scars up. And it's not just how it looks like or what uh, the psychology of it, as I said yesterday, there's a physiological change in you as well, but we didn't know at all at that stage. Uh, and so, yeah, once you start to scrape the surface off, if you excuse that, and you start to see what's underneath, then you've got to think, okay, well, how can we change this? How can we manipulate this? What do other people know? What do other people do? And blinkers off, well, what's out there in the science and technology space that can help me um, move this forward? So it's, it's that sort of incremental gain and always trying to uh, like brainstorm. And so by the time I met Marie, I guess, in the early 90s, I was well and truly primed to accept that this wasn't good enough. And I think that's actually, if you look about curiosity and all that sort of stuff, and people who have maybe done stuff like myself, I think when I, I listen and I learn, it's the fact that they don't accept the status quo, that today isn't as good as it gets and not criticize it today because you know today's on a lot you know got a lot of energy involved in it over a long period of time but okay what can we learn here okay what can we make better small or large you know and so I think it is interesting that curiosity linked with the belief that there is something better is a really powerful combination Okay. And then that's where you came on. Why could we just do some spray on skin cells? I mean, if we can. Well, we, it, yeah, incremental, incremental. You know, we were growing sheets. The sheets were looking fragile. We then thought, well, could we do this as a suspension? Could we put the uh, harvest the, the cells earlier? So, and then we did the experiments the wall. This is better. Well, how do we get the suspension on the body? Well, we poured it on, we made blisters. And, oh, God, why don't we just spray this? Oh, wow. Well, we'll spray it on <laughs> you know and so it's all those that always looking yeah that, that again not being passive yes okay so now that you've got this idea that you're going to have spray on skin cells and it's and it's a go-ahead like it's not creating blisters it's actually working on the skin how do you honestly like you're a scientist you're a gp you're a surgeon how do you start to even commercialize something like this because that's completely away from everything that you've trained for okay yes and that that was an experience and a half yes marie and i figured that well we it was it was driven by funding or lack thereof you know so we're in a very small niche area uh, we're not on the radar with respect to a competitive grant funding, particularly. We had the Rain Foundation support from the University of Western Australia. We'd have Telethon uh, support, which is a you know, Channel 7 philanthropic uh, foundation. Uh, and so we'd have that kind of support. But the other, the rest of the support for our research was coming from the community, you know, from our patients, from uh, people that knew us, people that had heard about us. And yeah, and we set up a not-for-profit foundation so people could uh, 
donate into that so we could then keep the research going. But when we realized, we didn't realize we were doing things different from everyone else until probably about 80, 98, 99, about, about 98 actually. And we went to speak at a meeting in Europe around all about culture and skin. And it was in Switzerland, in Zurich. And, and it was like, oh my gosh, we're doing something here that nobody's doing. This is interesting. Why not? Well, how well, how do we actually get this technology one out so people could use it? And two, can we use that as a vehicle to support our research? Because you know, it could be used in all sorts of other areas of skin repair. And so that's when we when we we started to learn about things like intellectual property that we had no idea about. And we assigned our intellectual property to the not-for-profit foundation, both Marie and I, because our motivation wasn't personal gain. Our motivation to do this was actually to build resilience in our capacity to continue to do the research. So we weren't at the, like we weren't totally reliant on, our, on the grant system. And so we assigned our intellectual property to the foundation. And then, so we'd set up a foundation, we were doing the work in the hospital, and then we set up a company. We looked at them and so I know that was like a big deep breath. <laughs> and, and so we got bored and all that sort of stuff and uh, different people working in the company. And the company was called Clinical Cell Culture. I think it was one of the hardest periods of my life because yeah. I didn't have the training for it. I, I knew what we needed. I knew where I felt the direction needed to go. But we, we did bounce around. We were knocked around a bit by people uh, giving advice that wasn't possibly right on the mark. And we took it because we hadn't got uh, the level of, of understanding of, the, of this whole kind of system. But I learned, some, uh, I learned an awful lot, actually. I learned that if you have 100% of anything, it, it could be nothing. And, you know, that whole idea that you have to share uh, in order, you know, it's in order to make a difference, you, you have to make money. And in order to make money, you have to make a difference. And it's a balance. And, and actually, that whole commercialization can get out of kilter. And so it's, it's trying to make that balance appropriate. And so I also learned I was never going to be a CEO. I was acting CEO for a very long time. We never take acting out. When we get one, I am out of here. You know? And so, uh, so I didn't want to be in that space because my space was very much the surgery and the science side of things. But we stabilized it. We, we got it moving forward. We got it through the TGA's approval. And then we emerged with another company and it became Avita Medical. And it's gone on uh, really well. And um, if I look on a bit from the sidelines. I'm still sort of involved in some clinical science space and teaching people how to, to use the technology, usually on the webinars these days. Mm -hmm. um, but but it's just really gratifying to see how they've taken something that was really very much in front of the, the curve very early. Yes, yeah, cell-based therapies yeah, are talked about now and used 20 years ago. That was a different issue. And so the, the FDA approval in 2018 under the Avita team was a, a, big, a big day because it was one where we were able to uh, realise 
hard road. But, uh, you know, we've realised the dream, I guess. That's, that's incredible. So the fact that you took this idea, you tried to commercialise it yourself and realised that the skill set wasn't something that you had. So then you then gave it to someone else or did you sell the idea to someone oh. else to take, take hold of it? Well, basically, the, the, the two companies, uh, our clinical cell culture and another co company that were looking at aerosols and dispersion, and so they came together okay. and we renamed it. So for a while, we were in there together. Mm -hmm. And as, this, as the company stabilised, I stepped back from the board and, and that okay. sort of thing. Yeah. Fabulous. And are you happy with the direction of where it's going and how it's oh, being distributed? Yeah, they've, they've done, you know, it's, it's had its hiccups. It's been a really hard road for them. Uh, and at us, they get, um, I'm sort of still connected. Uh, but they've done a really, really good job. Really good job to get that FDA after a long hard haul, working with the Armed Forces Institute of Regenerative Medicine in the US as well, so that we could do the clinical trials. So it's, yeah, it, it's, I think you can't underestimate the the amount of energy and effort these things take and that they've kept at it and yeah, got there. For sure, for sure. And, and I wanted to know, you said one of the ways that you've raised money was through grants, through um, telethons. And yesterday you also mentioned at the press club that it was also through Lamington Bakes, you know, like, <laughs> I was, I was yeah. listening, I'm like, are you kidding me? You, so you actually baked Lamingtons and then you sold them. <laughs> Well, not, not literally, because Lamington is not that easy to make. I, just, <laughs> anyway. I think you're the hardest things to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, but no, certainly uh, community fundraising it, uh, has been part of our, our, our remit all along. I think it's really important uh, for the whole community to, we, we, you know, if they want to give, we have to give a vehicle to give, mm -hmm. a large and small and so we have community fundraising as an element ongoing of what we do in the foundation, in the Fiona Wood Foundation. As when we established it, it was the McComb Foundation, who is a great mentor of mine, Harold McComb, a plastic surgeon. Uh, and it was, it, it was really interesting because it gave us an opportunity to link with, you know, the corporate side of things and, you know, with our, our supporters there that made you know, big, big differences, but we've also connected with people across our community and doing things like, you know, a lot of the team, as well as our patients, as well as community, have abseiled down the tallest building in Perth, you know, and raise money, you know, so that all these things, speaking at the Rotary Clubs and that sort of, they're, they're great fundraisers, connecting with them, you know, all sorts of different things. Yeah, it's important. I think it's part of it's part of telling the story as well. Mm, very much so. And I and I believe that one of the things that you said that is that part of research teams now, science-based research teams, their job is to go and do the fundraising, like go to the Rotary Clubs, go to the Lions Clubs, go and actually collaborate with te a Telethon or Lamington Bank to get the funding. Is that something that you would say to many people who are doing research to actually, that's part of not just the science, but the raising of funds is just as important. I think the funding and science is a really vexed issue. We, there is, we are naive to, uh, in, in, the, in the country, if you like, as to how much money we need to do this properly. Mm. You won't get that from community fundraising. But what you will get from community fundraising is one, yeah, a bit of a buffer, a small buffer always helps, yes. Mm -hmm. But you'll get the opportunity to speak to people, spread your message, 
and you get the community coming with you. And when the community is coming with you, then, then the whole thing starts to change. Yes, the politicians, well, you know, it's another avenue where your message is coming from. You're not just going direct, it's coming indirect. So it's a way of spreading that message. And, you know, I think our community has demonstrated that, you know, we, we have, we have a duty and a responsibility to share our message, to explain what we're doing with the, with the funding, you know, with the current grant funding. Absolutely, it has to be transparent. We have to be open about what we're doing. But, and in doing telling our stories, then it will become apparent that we need to actually fund across the whole, uh, right from the woe to go, right from the basic, the de developmental chemistry or fundamental science. Mm. You know, looking at the where did the internet come from? You know, where all these different things. You know, you have to you have to start with the basic building blocks of of science and of life. You know, so so it's really it's not just about the money. Mm. It's about the stories. And I mean, I've been in lots of places over this last week with the ASMR tour, uh, and that's really exposed me to so many amazing young people doing amazing things. Well, go out and shout it from the rooftops. Tell the good news stories. And the good news stories can start to build. And then we, we can build the case for actually, this is a significant part of our community. And this will make, and strength, make our community healthier mm. and well into the future. And so I think it's really, it works on many, many levels, but we cannot, absolutely cannot rely on, on just community fundraising for, for our, our, our sciences. It's quantums that we need. Absolutely. It's interesting when you say that because just recently, the Bilawila family, who has just been reunited from Perth back to their place in Queensland, one of the, uh, Prime Minister Albanese was asked about the fact that they're now, since yesterday, going back and he said, well, the community, is who had the greatest support for them. And it was the community that was able yes. to put the pressure as like exactly what you're saying. Yes. It put the pressure on the government to get that refugee family with their own community. So what you're saying speaks volumes because we're seeing it right now on the national stage with this family called the Vila Wheelers. Oh, sorry, pardon me, where they're going to, they're not called the Vila Wheelers, they're going to yes. the town. And, and it's, it's, it's actually right. So do you think is having your profile and having the results that back up what you do, is it easy for you, easier for you to get a grant from the government at, the, at these times? Or is it still no. you have to go through the rigor? No. no, 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 no. We're all in this together. It's a competitive uh, system and it is rigorous. Yes. But uh, yeah, I, I think one of the things that's really sort of like, Open my eyes. The Australian Society of Medical Research awarded the, the medalist of this year, and I've been travelling and learning uh, the stats, listening to other presentations. Now, uh, our, our new ideas uh, granting system has been going a few years, and when you score the grants. If they scored six, they're considered to be internationally exceptional. Now we're not fund. We haven't got enough money in the pot mm. to fund all of the sixes, and it's just like what? 
we and I knew this, but it's really been brought home to me that the pot is just not big enough. Mm. If we are not supporting such high level research, then how are we going to keep those people here in Australia contributing to our community, our society, our taxes or anything else? Because you know those ideas will go, go where somebody will appreciate the fact that they need the funding. Mm-hmm. So we've really got to deal with this. I've been, you know, as I say, educated in a way that I kind of knew, but now I really know mm-hmm. the, 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 the extent of the problem. And especially in my young people, because, you know, it's, that's the, the mid-career where they're just coming through their PhD and their postdocs, they've got the ideas and they want to spread their wings and, and really start something that could be, you know, amazing Mm. and then they're told no oh it's really good oh internationally excellent but no we just Mm. haven't got enough you know we'll go spend it on something else would have to happen to get fun money in the pot like what does the government just have to put more money in i mean what would they do i think that i think we've i think we've got to think about how one uh, you know look at uh, where that can come from from a government perspective and i've always felt that you know we have this system where we we vote someone in and then we abdicate all responsibility criticize them well actually no mm-hmm. you know let's you know they're people as well they're representatives of us well let's work together mm-hmm. actually and so work out how and is that how can you augment the, that that pod how can you uh I mean, the MRFF has been fantastic, but it's it's for a very specific target, uh, translational research, the NHMRC, ARC, we need them to be boosted. How can that be boosted? Is it directly from government? Where does it come from? How can it be supported by externally? And all those things, I think, have got to be on the table. We've got new government. It's exciting. It's an exciting time to, to have the conversations. Yeah. And I think so, so... We've just not got to walk away from this mm-hmm. because if we walk away from this funding issue right now, we walk away from our young scientists mm-hmm. and those those vibrant ideas and you know those great minds, and we're telling them, well, well, you might be good and you might be it might be great, but you know it's just not our priority, mm-hmm. and that's I think that's the is that what our community wants us to say to these people. That we've, you know, the education system has got this far. Oh, we'll go overseas then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> go somewhere where you're appreciated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so what you're saying is, is very good. So just take us into a collaboration with the government to see what we can do and what you can do together, how we can bring to an agreement yes. of how we can use funding or create funding. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So since you became Australian of the Year in 2005, um, Dr. Fiona Wood, do you find that having had or having created the foundation, which is the Dr. Fiona Wood Foundation, is that the best thing? Because that platform for one year that you have to be Australian of the Year gives platform to your work, to the voice that you have, to what you want to be able to impact. The best way to leverage that or to carry it through, you know, that the importance of what you're doing is a foundation the best way to go about it? I don't, I'm not sure about that. I think there's many, many ways. It just worked for us at the time and has continued to do so because we've been, we have had a foundation since 2000, uh, just before it was in the late 90s that we established it. 
you know so it's it's only just recently changed it the name mm -hmm. uh, by the the team changed it to somebody else's name, you know, my <laughs> name I guess and so that was, uh, was okay then uh, and that was uh, I think part of trying to maintain that level of awareness for what we do and specifically around Burns education and first aid uh, for our community as well as the fundraising. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, it, it, were, it is a way of doing it, but it is not the only way by a long way, by a long way there's lots of opportunities. I think. Because as I was going through your website for the Fiona Wood Foundation, one of the very, very valuable things you have on there, of the many things, is the fact that you want um, students to learn first aid, which you had mentioned at the press club yesterday, and the fact that every student in year 10 should learn how to, and let me just get down, how to start a heart, how to secure airways, stop burns, how to reduce weight to reduce diabetes, so that alleviates pressure off the health system. I think this is just brilliant. Is there any grounding or any movement momentum that's built to make this a possibility in schools at the moment? I think it's an it's interesting uh, discussion. We, we have uh, uh, books that we have uh, developed that have teaching uh, materials alongside that have, the books came from a student project some years ago. They've just been revamped with uh, support from education to have the, the teachers materials alongside them so in the primary school area we've with the first ADS we've got that sorted in WA there's other small groups around the country that do that kind of thing in uh, in the sort of curriculum is it's a very challenging space because it is such a crowded space and I think maybe what we uh, think yeah, making it mandatory is always challenging as we've uh, seen making things mandatory of late but offering and making first aid training available to our uh, year 10 and, um, and above students I think is something that we could promote as a community we have providers and we could augment those providers with volunteers so I think there are systems that we could and I think is it is it the right is the time coming uh, to address these things and I think yes, prevention has been put on the on the table, but how are we going to facilitate that? I I was involved uh, during the COVID time in Western Australia in a an ideation platform uh, that were asked the community uh, for their ideas on solving problems around COVID, and uh, it was fascinating, and we. We had a pop-up innovation hub myself uh, and uh, uh, Lady Gemma Green, and uh, and we were able to, with a whole group of us that were came together um, to basically look through the ideas and put people together. We had sessions on smart chemistry and all sorts of different things. And it's really brought the community together and was able to make effect some change here and there. And then the next set of challenges went out uh, after a period of some months in the middle of uh, the year of, I think, 2020. And the community came back with ideas and uh, it was fascinating because the third were around prevention in mental health and mental health care uh, and a third were about prevention in the concept of diabetes obesity etc and a third were around digital health and telehealth and these were from our community 
and okay it was western australia and, and it, we had a different we were in a different space maybe at that stage but but i stood back from that but the time is right from a prevention perspective from understanding we can shift the dial and i think in the sustainable health review uh, in WA, I think in the new government now, how can we actually really look at those people who've been working in prevention a very long time, whether it be motor vehicle accidents, whether it be drugs and alcohol or smoking, you know, we've got a track record here and there, people who know how to effect change, then let's have this conversation as a whole community and let's work out how it's, it's not about what I think, you know, with things like obesity, it's not how you look, it's your health. And it's, let's really put that, the aesthetics to one side, yeah? It's, it actually drives poor health outcomes and impacts the rest of your life and impacts, therefore, the life of those around you and all of us because, you know, the, the health system we'll step up and treat. Mm. But if we didn't need the treatment, then we could use that resource in a different way, you know? Mm. And so it, let's empower people to look after themselves and empower with knowledge, good, good decision-making, you know, so. I, I think it's so exciting to be able to, to be taught that because I know uh, during COVID in Canberra, the capital territory, we were given the opportunity, those who were own businesses, to do a mental health certificate, first aid certificate. Yes. To be able to cater to people <clears throat> around us who probably were not doing so well. And that really helped. That really gave a shining light on mm -hmm. mental health first aid. I'd never heard of it. And mm -hmm. that was just brilliant. And that was for business owners to help their staff and the people surrounding them. And so to have something like that, the actual first aid uh, at school, can only bring so much empowerment, the, what, what you were saying yesterday, so much empowerment to just know what do I do if someone is uh, has a burn, or if someone isn't able, is someone having a heart attack? Like, what are the steps? It's, it's, I mean, Indigenous communities know this. They know what to do when something goes wrong. It's just it's passed down, you know, from generation to generation. And, yeah, we in the Western modern world, really lack this kind of knowledge of our own health. And what you're trying to do is bring that into the forefront of the classroom. And, and not just in the classroom, but in the sporting clubs or in the, you know, the surf clubs are very good at this, you know, surf lifesaving, huge body of volunteers across our country that help keep us safe in the water. Uh, you know, they're very good at teaching the young kids this kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and you know, we all need help. Mm. every across the whole uh, we've developed uh, i think one of the things i've seen uh, more recently uh, a, a young guy as uh, in wa did his masters on messaging without language so with cartoons without words it so that we can help those who've just arrived in uh, australia without a very now, which language, how do we, how do we uh, translate, et cetera, but how do we share messaging just by pictures, yeah, mm -hmm. and things like that. There's lots of, lots of ways that we can improve uh, that knowledge and improve that empowerment. Mm, definitely. And so it brings me to this question, uh, Dr. Fiona, that you are, as, as I mentioned, a mother of six, you are a surgeon, a director of Burns, 
you're an inventor. How do you separate your time? Like what is taking up your time these days? Are you in the hospital doing surgery? Are you being a consultant? Are you leading the foundation on, you know, getting the kids uh, first eight thing out? What, what, how, what are you doing? Like, this is so much. Yeah, well, it, I've got a great team. I'm really lucky I work with a fantastic team. And uh, Di in the foundation, Mark who leads the science, and, you know, Suzanne and, and, uh, is the deputy director of the Burns Service. And so I, I, I do flit around, absolutely. But I also, uh, I've been, as I, I've moved uh, more recently, we've been able to fund my time in research. And that's been fabulous because I've been able to stack in things out of my head. Uh, and so I, I, I do 50-50 clinical work and research uh, and I have done for only the last maybe year and a half. Uh, and I, I, as this stage, basically, with all that, we've got a great surgical team, a great clinical team, and the succession plan is well in place. Then uh, I spend, I want to spend more time in the research as we go forward over the next few years and really uh, establish that as a sustainable entity so that when I'm no longer around, the guys are not vulnerable and they can keep going. Yeah, so that's really important. Okay, so it's 50-50, 50% in uh, the actual work of surgery and 50% in research. Yes, yes. Well, that's yeah. and, and so you've got a board that takes care of the foundation to push the, the work of that through. Yeah, Di, Di runs the foundation uh, and uh, we have a board, yeah, uh, that uh, is the, keeps the governance and everything like that. Awesome. And so, I mean, this is what, how did you manage having, um, and I'm asking because of the many listeners who are listening to this, how did you manage, and this is with absolute um, reverence to what you've done with managing six children and having a career as a surgeon, no less, um, and then having these inventions and then research, like, what, like, can you give us advice of how does that work? I think it's interesting because I, I'm very keen that you follow your own path, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I, I married a surgeon and we decided we would have lots of children and then they would be, they'd have each other. Yeah. That, uh, because we would always work. And so that may sound a little strange, was what worked. But I went to a med school in Griffith, I think it was, be, uh, to speak because uh, one of uh, was a family friend and she'd been, spoke, they'd had a, a talk from surgeons about careers. And then it pointed out that women in the audience would have to be, make decisions with respect to families. So I went along and I walked in the room and I said, I'm a surgeon. Who's in surgery? And they put their hands up. And then I go, well, my husband's a surgeon, so the two of us are surgeons, and we have six children. So you do understand that unless you're committed to having six children, you can't do surgery. And of course, everybody laughs because that's quite ridiculous, yes? Mm. And so I said, well, when somebody came and told you that you might never be able to have children in surgery, why did you do them? I'm a great believer in following your own path, finding what works for you, working out how you can be the best version of yourself. Mm. And so for me, I, you know, I love children. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, clearly, and I, I, I spend a lot of time making sure 
neither one or other of us was always at home. We didn't have the roster, so we had to do our on call separately and that sort of thing. My husband used to bring the babies to the hospital when I had to work so that I could feed them. Yeah, we we made it work. We made the day longer by they did sport before and after. And we had babysitters, of course, coming in. And, and we the kids started school at Montessori at three at preschool. The kids all went to the same school, boys and girls, pre-primary year 12 on one campus. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, things like that. Why make it high? Uh, and in fact, I took my uh, grandkids there. They started uh, in pre-primary oh, Hindu yeah. this year. And that was funny because the uniform hasn't changed. Anyway. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, uh, so I think that we've used strategies and we worked out how uh, to always go away for a period in the school holidays altogether. We took, when we went to uh, clinical, uh, surgical conferences, we'd take one child with us rather than the two of us go together, we'd take one of the kids. And they had some great trips or that, you know, real memory box trips with that one-on-one, -on -one, you know. So we made an effort to travel together, to uh, have time. We would always have dinner together, but they did lots of sport because that made them, kept them busy. <laughs> you know? and, and so it was what worked for us was uh, yeah, how we muddled along through. And I think people shouldn't be constrained what, by what others say. Mm. Uh, and you stand back, what is it that you want to do? So work it out and then go for it. <laughs> you know? Hundred percent, and that's the advice you give your kids in terms of their work and what yep. they can do. Yeah, they won't come to you. Just get out there and get it. Go get grab it. it. Love that. I love that. And that's probably um, what you were saying, Esther. You don't like the limelight. You find it very awkward having this attention on you, but you do it because to get what you want, it has to happen. Like your visibility yeah. is what makes it happen. It's made. Yeah, it's made a difference. It's made possible what we do yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so that's and it's and it sort of you know people put a lot of faith and so I feel I have to work hard to justify that mm -hmm. and uh, and and respect that as well and so that feedback it's, it's sort of all kind of to con uh, uh, sort of strength of its own really yeah mm -hmm. yeah because I think I, I think it's a bit weird <laughs> like, <what? laughs> Okay, yeah, but so it doesn't, yes, it's not like this is uh, the aim of the exercises for me, the aim of the exercise work and uh, to be known and to be supported and the people who have suffered and uh, to be acknowledged and respected. For sure, sure. Do you, um, speaking of time and the way you've used your time, what advice would you give? Because someone so accomplished can only do be accomplished with uh, an optimization of knowing the value of time. Because there's a saying that says the cheapest way to pay for anything is money and the most expensive way to pay for anything is with your time. And so what advice could you give us for someone who has done so much at 62 and it's someone at my table yesterday at 72 saying, oh, my God, what have I done with my life? What, what, like, how do you use your time? Or what do you not do? Do you not watch TV? Do you not go on social? Or do you read a lot of books? I mean, do you, what are you doing? And I know you're <laughs> doing it unconsciously. And this is what's so hard about asking this question. Because Well, I've never, I, I, that one is it's an easy question to answer. I don't know what social media is. No, okay. 
kind of, uh, and uh, the, all the Facebook and everything that's done at the foundation, I don't have any of that myself, none of that. I did for a little while have Instagram when my daughter was uh, uh, an athlete, so I and my nephew is still an athlete, so I could follow them and watch that and look at their pictures. <laughs> but then that was as close as I got to having any time in that particular time drain because I acknowledge from my observation that is a time drain, yeah. and I'm not I'm not going to teeter over that brink. Mm. Um, TV not often, uh, you know I. I've occasionally but yeah it's in hotel rooms when I'm like traveling like this um uh, I do read I like reading uh and uh I read every evening as you know what do you read what kind of books do you read all sorts of different fiction historical fiction crime fiction oh fiction yeah lots of yeah I like the I like science fiction uh, but there's not a lot of some of it is just like not really science fiction I really like there's a there's a Chinese uh, fellow that wrote a trilogy the three body problem for those science fiction nerds out there that was interesting okay. <laughs> um, a very interesting blend of sociology and science anyway I digress uh, and so I, I and I, I like sport I try and exercise every day uh, in some way because mm -hmm. I think if you keeping fit matters mm -hmm. I think keeping fit at the times of my life uh, like I feel a bit stodgy I've been told or we could not be able to get in the ocean on my bike and, and it feels like you feel a bit slower and stodgier yeah. and so I, I like to be out in, outside and you know early morning okay. sets me up for the day uh, mm -hmm. and I think gives you energy you know people say I haven't time to exercise not true it gives you it's, it's like one of those time warp things you know you you feel vibrant you feel energized and so you choose your time better I think mm -hmm. uh, and so but then you've got to be sensible absolutely and the, the, you know of course you can should you and there are things that really other people can do yeah and working in the team only works if you don't try and do everything. Mm. You, know, you have to respect people's skill sets and respect what they do and what they bring to the table and acknowledge that and you know, help bring that together but not take over. Yeah. Uh, and so so I think it, it, it's a whole blend of different things. Keeping fit really I, really matters. You know, things like sleeping well, eating well, and you know, being that the sort of trying to keep your, yourself that in a space where you know, from a mental space, again, if you're working in a team on those difficult days, there's people around you that you can help through. You know, it's not always sunshine and roses. And whether it be personally or professionally, having taken the time to maintain connection and may use energy in that way is comes back in spades mm -hmm. because, you know, that helped me through the difficult days and re-energize. Yeah, so there's lots of small things, big and big things, but you know, it, you know, and it's working out. You get down a rabbit hole and you stop and think, actually, uh, hang on, I can do this better. Let's retreat. Let's work it out. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> I stepped on your toes. You're better off at doing this than me. Yeah. You know, that, and be honest with yourself. What can you, you don't achieve if you try and do too fight on too many fronts? you've got to focus here and there and that's you know that's a hard thing you think oh I can do that yeah. I can do this 
Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's like this, this, and this, and that, in and out, in and out. <laughs> broaden the focus, broaden the focus. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting because I think that's one of the things that I too struggle with is there's so many ideas that come to you and I'm sure I'm not the only one. Oh, can that rap? What about that? I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And do you have a way of trying to discipline yourself? Just calm down. Yeah. Well, the team around me go, oh, God, here we go again. <laughs> and, and putting things together, putting things together and then saying, okay, where are we likely to make most progress in all these dots that we've collected, you know, all these ideas we've put together because they have similarity how can we push one forward well it might be which we've got funds for uh put the others to one side uh it may be one stands out as a as an easier path and then drags the rest along with it and so by clustering uh and then actually being pragmatic and if you get the funding for dot a then it's dot a that gets done yeah, yeah. okay that's fair enough that's right and so my my last two questions please um Dr. Fiona, is yesterday when I saw you at the National Press Club, I was really impressed of how you handled the questions that were coming from the audience and the way you fielded those questions, the way you said someone might ask two questions, you said, okay, I'll take the second one first and then I'll come back to your first question. And what I saw in that was a lot of emotional intelligence of how to be able to handle off the cuff questions which is a very it's a skill in itself have you been media trained because if you have it's the best media training ever <laughs> nobody can pull it off like you everyone's a bit too that i've seen really like dry <laughs> shows you've got media training but how are you like how do you because it was just so beautifully like gracefully done yesterday at the press club where everyone's just like having a turn of at the mic giving you a question and you are really you took control of the question rather than being led by it well, I think that's interesting. So thank you. <laughs> I, I guess we're used to presenting again, being questioned in a scientific and clinical uh, arena. Mm -hmm. uh, we we debate uh, and have team meetings about patients all the time. So we're in that sort of uh, question and answer debating circumstance, if you like, as part of our business as usual. But I did have uh, a, a session and it was around... Uh, we'd got we'd got the com the uh, commercialization, and it was around that that we had um, the company. And one of my friends said, "Oh, I've known this lady Val. She's brilliant. You need to go media train with her because you're going to have to start uh, answering questions in a very different arena, which is is not in that scientific clinical context, which is not comfortable sometimes. Absolutely, but." It's, it's familiar, it's part of what we do. And so I went to Val, I think for an hour or so to have a chat and she was lovely, really nice. And then uh, Bali happened. And I ended up with the window of my world opening. And, uh, and I ended up in that spokesman's role. Uh, and uh, basically it went from there. And so, Val always says it was the best hour she ever did. <laughs> but, you know, she just, yeah, uh, and things like answering, this has been really conversational, but some, you know, making sure that when you're in, when the microphone's there and the TV camera's there, always put the question in the sentence and keep it short and don't take a breath so they can't, it can't be misinterpreted. <laughs> Wow, I love that's amazing. And I, that's one thing I remember from that hour. Yeah, that was, that was really, okay. Yeah, so so 
to like, do the sound bite, you know, uh, in certain circumstances. Mm. So, so I think it's been, uh, and it, it is interesting because I think you're observing you're, the first time that has been brought to me that you that that I've, I've taken control, but I don't. I have, and I think fascinating because i haven't realized that that's what i was doing but it is yeah and and bringing it on my terms and i think in one question i said well actually i'm going to change your question yes, because it's yes. not artificial intelligence isn't going to make it easier for me as a doctor mm. it's going to make it better mm. so if i change easy for better and i think by the end of my answer i said so it could actually be harder mm. but it will be a better outcome for our patients yeah, yeah? and yeah. so so you're right, it's like taking that control and trying to get your message across and using the questions of vehicle mm. rather than being browbeaten by the question. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. interesting. So thank you for that. That's well, the best thing. Yeah, because you do it with such class. It's not even sometimes when you people change the questions. I see sometimes in politicians, they get offensive or offended and that comes across and then that just builds a a barrier to the, the questioner and the person who's actually uh, saying it so but you did it with such grace and such uh, malleability that it wasn't stark it was just really this flow of conversation which is why I, I paid attention because I'm like I haven't seen that way of answering a question before and I've interviewed a lot of politicians <laughs> <laughs> but it is it, maybe it's part of this but my absolute fundamental belief that we're in this together and it's just a conversation we do need to ask you know I, I i do certain things that i've been trained for 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 you know for 40 odd years mm. well ask me what it is mm. ask me what my not how i can share my knowledge with you mm. and you know so i don't I, so that i can say this is what I, I do but actually i don't do all these other stuff so you tell me about them yeah, yeah, I'm hungry to learn and how together we can be yeah. better. Yeah. yeah, you said you've been praying for things for 40 years. You're you believe in God as a scientist? You no, believe I'm trained, not prayed. Trained. Oh, trained. Sorry, trained. Pardon, <laughs> trained, trained. Pardon me. Okay, but do you as a scientist, do you or is that not really the goal within the science community? I, I, as, uh, I went to a Quaker school as uh, my latter part of high school, uh, which changed my life. Uh, I think. Uh, that whole the school motto was non sibi sed omnibus not for oneself but for others mm. I, I, it was very influential in me at that period you know as you can as a teenager uh, I'm, I'm not particularly personally religious but if I was I would be a Quaker I think wow. okay beautiful last question Dr Fiona what is your ultimate vision that you would want to have to be remembered for or to do with the platform and the skill set and the training that you've got? Like, what's your ultimate vision for where you want to leave things at? Oh, gosh, I don't want to leave things, I guess. Uh, well, oh, so I want God. to leave things that, uh, in a way that keep going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, on a professional space, I would love to see uh, uh, as to be able to print the skin so that it regenerates. But equally, I'd like us to be able to address not just the scar on the surface but the scar the mental scar and the physiological scars so that we can really understand how to improve life after injury and and sustainably into the future so i i've recognized now that i won't see a lot of that in my life my sort of working life and so my focus is sustainability to keep that 
that rolling forwards to give the young scientists and clinicians uh, the opportunities to express their curiosity, to, to really drive that, that curiosity forward so they're always asking questions. And maybe remembered for, oh, she kind of worked hard. <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> Most certainly. Oh, my goodness. It's been an absolute, um, and I know you hear this a lot, it's, it is really, truly an absolute honour and pleasure to have interviewed you, Dr. Fiona, because women like yourself, souls like yourself, are very few and far between, and to have had the opportunity to ask you questions and really get into your mind and how it works is, uh, is, a, is a dream come true for me. And I wanna just really talk about, just plug in the Fiona Wood Foundation, that if you are looking to support the work that Dr. Fiona Wood is doing in terms of reconstructive surgery of the skin, um, being able to do exactly what Dr. Fiona was just saying, then please go to drfionafoundation.org. Is that correct? Is that uh, yes, uh, .com. Dot com. Dot com, my <laughs> apologies. Thank you so much once again, Dr. Fiona. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you.